The readings for the day. First one comes from Matthew eleven, sixteen through nineteen. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. The second one, John eight forty-five through 50 But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is from God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not from God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. If you've been around for a while, you know that a lot of the attention that we've gotten in the past few weeks is new. And if you're new, welcome. We've been getting a lot of attention the past few weeks. Now, we at Zao haven't been doing anything different lately. We've been the same little scrappy, Jesus-rooted, justice-centered, radically inclusive church that we have been since our inception just a few years ago. But more people have been paying attention as we made the news and people started telling more of our story. As we got more attention, most of it lovely, by the way, most of it outpourings of love and affection, so many people seeing the work that you all, that this community is doing and just pouring out love and gratitude and support, there has also been a not insignificant amount of trolling happening. Some of you already know this because you have spent hours perhaps in our comment section responding to trolls who are coming with vitriol and hate with love and reason and kindness and persistence. It's been really amazing to watch actually as one of your pastors to see the ways that your own discipleship has taken you into the fray, not to back away from a fight, but to come into it with love and intention to explain who we are, and as the scriptures say, where our hope comes from. Not to go out looking for those fights necessarily, but to respond to that hate with kindness and also clarity. You see, we're not supposed to back down in the face of hate, but we're also not supposed to meet hate with hate. So in our culture where those seem to be the two options, either fold in a fight or come out swinging, we don't often know what to do. Hence our new series, Hate Mail. We're going to take some time going through some of the hate mail that we've received. Rather than keeping it locked away or hidden forever, we're going to bring that out into the open. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about where it's coming from. There are some collective sins in our world that manifest in these outbursts, these um, sort of pointed outbursts of anger and hurt that are aimed 
at any number of kinds of people, but right now some of that is aimed at us. So we're going to talk about those collective sins because it's not like each piece of hate mail is completely unique and different. There are some trends here. So we're going to talk about the bad theology, the misguided teachings that we have absorbed, um, and the brokenness in our world that leads to these expressions of hate. We're also going to talk about what the remedy is for that. How in the midst of hate do we actually stay on the way, the path of Jesus, the path of love? How do we respond to this hate? How do we respond publicly? But also, how do we respond privately in our own hearts? What room is there for grief? What room is there for laughter? What room is there for peace in the midst of all of this? So we're going to spend some time looking at the themes that are coming up in these letters. Now, the letters, so-called, have come in many forms. Some people have actually taken the time to write a good old-fashioned piece of hate mail, like longhand, wrote it, put it in an envelope, licked that sucker, stamped it in the mail. And I got to say, John from New York, kudos. That is some old-fashioned uh, hate mail there. But more of our hate mail has come in the form of comments on all our social media, flooding our DMs, um, emails, and correspondence through our website. And so I have compiled different uh, excerpts of our hate mail into categorized themes, and we are going to take them one by one. So to kick us off, we are going to hear a little bit of the hate mail that we've been getting lately. Now, I want to let people know that this is intended to be, um, to shine a light and to bring things out into the open and also to be fun and lighthearted. We want to have a chuckle about all of this. And I want to acknowledge that it can be upsetting and triggering, especially if this is not the first time that religious hate has come your way. And so um, if you'd like to join us during this time, fantastic. Maybe think about um, bringing some laughter and levity to it. If you need to, take a few deep breaths and just remember where you are right now and that you are loved and you are held in community and we are in this together. Or if you'd like to just take a little break and you know, top off your coffee for the next minute or so, please feel free to do that. Without further ado, I present Zhao MKA Church Hate Mail. Donald writes, say goodbye to your cover fake church. Your fake church will be shut down, and I will personally see to it. Every one of you go to prison for a very long time. Mike writes, you are the church from hell. Brett writes, you should be stripped immediately of your non-exempt. David writes, this is not a church of God. This is an apostate church. All right. Another David writes, bull burp religion, just like all the rest. Don't understand your pastor tattoos and a nose ring. Not very Christ Christian. All right. Tracy writes, 
satin worshippers. <laughs> Anonymous writes, your church has been reported. Burn in hell, commies. Stop supporting the violence. You aren't a real church. You will be punished. Tobias writes, well, I just saw the video in which our awesome police force intercepted your supply truck for protesters. What kind of church is radically inclusive? One look at your pastor says it all? Like, what? What? So, there you have it, folks. Our first round of hate mail. Fake church edition. And I would like to say that some of these charges um, are hurtful. We are not satin worshipers. We don't discriminate against fabrics here, and you know what? I personally love a good cotton. But in all seriousness, it is kind of alarming how many people went to that place of fake church. It got me wondering what is real church in the eyes of all of these trolls, and why is it that their first instinct when they see a church acting in a way that they don't like or understand, they cry, fake church. Now, it may be just the ring of fake news in everybody's ears these years, but I think that there's something deeper. I think that there is a deeper collective wound in our culture that tells us what is real and what is fake when it comes to religion, and in particular, what is considered legitimate. Who gets to decide what church is a real church? These trolls think that they do, and they have decided that if they get to be in charge of who is real, who is legitimate, and who is not, they know exactly where Zhao stands. So it got me wondering, what exactly does real church look like? So I did a little bit of Googling I'd like to share with you. Just Googling the word church brought this up. Now I see a lot of white steeples, pews, hymnals. There are a lot of images of churches in grassy fields, which makes me think that they're somewhere outside of Milwaukee, probably. I see a kind of church that I actually have never gone to personally. But it's actually also what I think of when I think of real church. We can cut it now. So why is it that this is an image that we all have collectively, I won't speak for everyone, I guess, but many of us have really ingrained into our psyches as what real church is. I, at Zhao alone, have experienced real church in a living room, at an EDM concert venue, in an old-fashioned sanctuary, in the bar with y'all, in the streets with y'all, at the beach with y'all. I have experienced real church, real Jesus-loving church, real life-changing church in a thousand different places and a thousand different ways with you all. And my rubric of what makes it real seems to be very different than what people are talking about here. So in the collective psyche here, what is it that legitimates a church? Well, in addition to being white, either in structure or in demographics, being suburban or rural, but certainly not urban, it also seems to be that it's very important that a church be validated and recognized by the government. 
We read you just one, but there were many churches, or I'm sorry, many um, pieces of hate mail that were really concerned with our tax-exempt status. And while we do qualify to be a tax-exempt organization, and that is technically who and what we are, it's probably one of the last things on my mind when I think of what makes real church. But we have this idea that church needs to be recognizable to the government, that church needs to be validated and categorized correctly in order to be legitimate and correct. And as such, that means that churches are expected to be basically supportive of and perhaps even integrated into our forms of government and politics. This is why we see a lot of churches with flags in their sanctuaries, that part of worship is this weird patriotism. That's why we have the phrase God-fearing Americans, which implies a lot of things about Americans that is really unflattering, um, including that we're all Christian, which is obviously not true. But it also implies a lot of really ugly things about people who love and fear God. That good God-fearing Americans are obviously American and are obviously patriots. But the combining of those two things, to say that a legitimate church is one that is basically sponsored by the state, recognized by the state, and is expected to uphold the values and principles and cultures of the state, that is a sickness deeply woven into our world. We'll go a lot deeper into this one when we get to the week hate mail treason edition, where we talk about the ways that we have been accused of betraying our country and how that is so deeply entwined with an American imperial religion that looks a lot more like Roman cult worship than the days of the early church and followers of Jesus. But there's another element here, not just who makes the church legitimate, but who is allowed to lead. What does a pastor really look like? There were many comments about my tattoos, my nose ring, my gender. Some of those comments about my gender understood who I was and hated me for that. Others thought I was something else and hated me for that too. But there is this question of who is available, who is legitimate, who can really lead a church. Now, when you think of a pastor, what do you think of? I bet there's another image in all of our minds that may not be identical, but shares some of those same characteristics with that white steeple in a green field. When we think pastor, we collectively think of a number of characteristics, and those characteristics may not reflect very clearly me or the breadth of our community here at Zao. I think this also is a sin of our world, a narrowing of our vision and understanding. The ways that the world around us, the patriarchy, the white supremacy, the misogyny, the queerphobia, the transphobia, the ableism, has shaped who we perceive to be legitimate leaders. There was a time when Zhao was just a twinkle in my eye and a pitch that I would bring to people asking them to help make it happen. Before I had even moved to Milwaukee, where I knew I was called to come, I drove up from my home in Chicago with like an armful of presentation packets, and I was so excited to share with a group of church leaders in Milwaukee my vision, my dream 
for what would become Zhao. I had a PowerPoint. I was ready. So I went to this presentation and gathered around me were a lot of men over the age of 50. I told them, I told them about you all. I told them about a community. At the time, I actually missed a lot of you because I didn't know that we would be um, as far away as Washington State and Southern California and Texas and Boston and more. So at the time, I only told this group of people about the folks I knew were in Milwaukee. I told them about incredible people, a lot of young people, a lot of young single people who weren't in church at all, who were longing for Jesus, who were longing for spirituality, who were longing for a community of justice and connection and life change. I described a longing for the church. At the end of my presentation, one of the older men in the room, someone who was a veteran of his own church in Cedarburg, started tapping his pen. Someone asked him, what do you think, Bill? And Bill said, well, I'm sure these people need Jesus, but with no elders, who's going to lead? You see, I had told them that I thought that the church would be mostly made up of 20 and 30-somethings. I had told them that a lot of people in this area were unmarried and didn't have children. I had told them that they could build a church, that we could build a church. I myself was 29, unmarried, and without children at the time, and I felt called. I saw a church led by a different sort of called blessed, equipped leadership. But Bill couldn't see it. Bill was like, who's going to lead? You're going to bring these people Jesus. Obviously, they need Jesus. But who's going to lead them? Bill had caught that same sickness, that same misunderstanding of who is called. Because the answer to the question, who is called to lead in the world, on the way towards Jesus, is everyone Everyone is called, everyone is equipped, everyone is gifted along the way. It is a matter, as we have learned just recently in our formation series, it is a matter of saying yes, a matter of saying yes to the invitation. And so when we ask the question, what is church, we actually at Zao, or at least those of us who have been around for the past several weeks, are pretty recently well-equipped to answer that. We have been reflecting on the church as a body of believers, a group of people who have answered the call, who have heard the invitation to get out of the boat and into the world, to become fishers of people. The church is the journey on the way and the people who journey together with one another, spurring one another on in love, drawing one another's attention back to the divine who is calling out to us. The church is a body of people who take risks, who try and walk on water, who achieve miracles with God and one another and then sink and then do it over and over again. The church is the community that lives together, sacrificially even, offering themselves, pouring themselves out to one another and receiving back abundance. The church is that body into whom the Holy Spirit pours her power 
that we may breathe the love of God into the world, that we may be swept up in the transformation into the kingdom, the anti-empire of God. The church is those who are called to follow Jesus along the way, and along the way, we get into conflict with empire. We move with Jesus face to face into the conflict with Rome, into the conflict with religious authorities. We move with Jesus who goes before us through death into life on the other side, a different way of being, of being fully alive. The true church follows Jesus through death, through scorn, through rejection, into life, into new life, into a totally different way of being where we emerge over and over again through every little and big death in our lives into a fuller sense of who we are, not only as children of God, but as a family, a body, a people after God's own heart. Why? Why is there such a mismatch between the church I have just described and the real church that we hear about in this hate mail. Here we can actually turn to scripture. Today we have a story of Jesus dealing with his own haters. You see, before Jesus started really preaching and teaching, there was one who came before, John. John the Baptist, his cousin, who we don't know if he was his cousin or his cousin. But either way, they were family. And John was very different than Jesus. John was the kind of guy who was like, I cannot be where all of you are with the brokenness and hurt and pain of the world. I must go away. So he went to the desert. And a bunch of people followed him because they were like, you're on to something. He was like, fine if you must be here. But we have to face the evils of the world. We have to repent. We have to lament. We have to see what's going on. We cannot look away from it. Who needs real clothes? You can wear really scratchy, uncomfortable stuff. You don't need to eat. We'll just fast. It's more holy anyway. And we're just going to hang out in the desert and eat very little and focus on, on grief and lament and repentance. I am John the Baptist. And though he sounds like a really big bummer, and I think he was, he had a grasp on truth. He recognized the brokenness of the world around him. And sometimes what we need more than anything else is to stop everything and say, this is horrible. This is massively messed up. We cannot go on this way. We must change. I must change. This all must change. I feel like this summer, in many ways, we are having a John the Baptist moment where we look around and say, no. We look around and we say, I cannot participate in this anymore, and I cannot remain silent anymore about what I am seeing. Let us go to the desert. Let us stop eating even. Let us mourn and fast and pray and call for change. That was John the Baptist. And he prepared the way for Jesus. And then came Jesus, who was baptized by John, participated in John's community, and then went out and had dinner with his friends and celebrated and laughed and told stories. 
He made a lot of friends with a lot of people who were still in the world and broken by it. And he celebrated. His first major miracle was just getting everybody really wasted at a wedding. He drank and he ate and he played. Jesus was a very different kind of prophet than John. Jesus was a prophet of abundance. Jesus would go and people would be hungry and he'd be like, eat some more and just be better sharers. And then there would be mountains of loaves and fishes everywhere. Jesus was about abundance and celebration. Jesus was about um, there being more than enough always. I hope that we enter a Jesus season again soon because we can't stay with John forever. But Jesus would always talk about how his followers would not fast while the bridegroom was with them. While Jesus was with them, while they felt so close to God, how could they fast? How could they mourn? They had to be fully celebratory in their life together. People had a problem with Jesus. People also had a problem with John. They couldn't have been more different, and yet they were together in their mission. They both saw and called out and longed for the kingdom of God. John prepared the way, but Jesus is the fulfillment. Because first we must grieve and repent and mourn, but then we must move into abundance and celebration. Jesus is the fulfillment, but they both bring important elements to the journey. And so how did people respond to each of them? Well, scripture says that they told John that he was possessed by a demon. We don't even have to listen to John. That dude, that dude's possessed. Have you seen what he eats? Have you seen what he wears? Oh my gosh, that guy out in the desert, forget it. And then along comes Jesus and Jesus is like, hey, you want to have a drink? You want to hang out? Oh, you look cool. Yeah, no, it's cool. I don't care where you came from. You're with us now. Great. And people were like, who is this? Ugh. Who are his friends? Ugh. He eats a lot. He drinks a lot. Do you ever even see him fasting? No, that's not a legitimate person at all. Don't ever listen to that person for religious advice or authority. They completely dismiss both of them. And so Jesus, when faced with this, was like, you guys, there's no pleasing you. And you know what? That's actually on you. He gives this parable. He says, you are like children in the marketplace calling out to one another. We played you a tune on our pipes and you wouldn't dance. We sang you a dirge and you wouldn't mourn. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to a lot of us. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. But basically, Jesus is talking about the metaphors for weddings and funerals. And in this dichotomy, John is a very funereal kind of guy. But Jesus is a wedding partier. Jesus has that wedding celebratory energy. And so Jesus is telling all of their haters, all of the many people who rejected them and critiqued them, he's saying, you wanted us to dance and celebrate and when John told you to mourn and repent, you refused and you whined because you just wanted to dance and you didn't want to be told that things were broken and you didn't want to be invited to examine your own pain and you didn't want to go out into the desert and sacrifice to grieve. But then you wanted to be serious. You wanted to be funereal. And I came along and said, hey, 
Have fun with me. Celebrate with me. Be fully alive with me. Come to dinner. Make some friends. Yeah, they're sex workers and tax collectors. Awesome. They're cool people. And you were like, you're too celebratory. You won't mourn with us. You won't sing the dirges. But that was performative. They were performing and they were expecting their prophets to perform with them. Be celebratory when we say to be celebratory, but only in the ways we say to be celebratory. Be mournful and serious, but only in the ways that we say so, and don't make us eat locusts. Jesus is saying that for those people that are set in their own expectations of how the word of God will come to them, there is no way that will be pleasing to them. And it's actually not whether about you are in a season of mourning or in a season of celebrating. It's actually not about the way that you present yourself as a child of God or whether you wear tattoo, you have tattoos or nose rings or you wear a suit and you look the part. That none of those things matter because they will always be yardsticks by which the people who reject you find a way to reject you. Jesus goes on to say, John came in fasting and you said he was possessed by a demon. I came in eating and drinking and you said my friends were no good and that I was a glutton and a drunk. But you know what? Wisdom will be vindicated by her actions. Wisdom will win out in the, in the end. This is Jesus' way of basically saying, haters are gonna hate. And you know what? We follow wisdom and there is no wisdom in that. It is childish and shallow and petulant. You can hear it, it sounds whiny. You didn't do what we wanted you to do. Yeah, well, prophets of God rarely do. And so, as Jesus demonstrates, even he had his haters. And what he had to do was sift through what is a genuine call from God and what is the whining of the people who are willfully on the sides who are willfully choosing not to join them on the way. The way of God is abhorrent to folks who are not ready for it yet, who are not on the path, who do not want to be. But wisdom will be vindicated by her actions. So how do we know? How do we know if we are following John and Jesus along the way? mourning genuinely and dancing genuinely or if we are children in the marketplace petulantly demanding that the faith or the church or God or church leadership perform for us in the ways that we think are real or legitimate. We must rely on the wisdom of our God and unfortunately, the wisdom of our God doesn't come with the same kind of rubrics that come with those white steeples and those green pastures. There is no blueprint for being a real church or a real church leader or a real Christian because it's a relationship. It's a relationship with God. It's a relationship with your community. It is a relationship along the way. And no one can tell you whether it's real other than you because you know where your heart lies 
and you know who your community is. The antidote for this hate is to pursue Jesus along the way, to be genuine and upright in our faith, to act on it and not just send angry letters or emails, and to see how our actions play out to vindicate our wisdom. Is there fruit in your life? Has this community, this church, brought you closer to God? Has your relationship with God changed any other part of your life? Has it deepened your relationship to others? Is it something that's drawing you more deeply into yourself in a new and life-giving way? Are you discovering things about the world? These are the things that make for a true faith. And our journey together, our relationship together, our trust in one another, and most of all, our earnest journeying along the way seeking after Jesus, that's what makes us a real church. We can respond to the haters with love and compassion. And we can respond first and foremost by inviting them along the way to ask them to join us in prayer, to ask them to consider mourning, grieving, repenting the brokenness of the world, and also to celebrate and find levity with us as we can. But we also know from Jesus' own example that sometimes haters gonna hate, and we just have to keep following along the way and pray that we are vindicated by our actions along with the wisdom who guides us. Will you pray with me? God of mercy, God of joy, you are our real God. And in being your children, that makes us your church. God, we pray that you would give us confidence in our own hearts to know who we are and whose we are, that we may follow after you with joy and contemplation, that we may follow after you with grief and lament at appropriate times. God, that we may follow after you with the genuine fullness of our hearts and that those jeering from the sidelines because they don't like the way we run may just be wind in our ears that we could run towards you, that we could move towards you with the power of your Holy Spirit and that your true love be what defines every true church. Amen.